telling you, there are some characters in the church. I think of uh, uh, Edward. Edward um, was one of the persons that I met when I went to Dole's right after being the associate speaker. And Edward was literally, he was very introverted. He lived by himself. He never married. And he had some characteristics about him. He was quite a character. He, he smoked a pipe. Uh, he had a long, scraggly beard. He was a hoarder back before hoarding was a fad. And, uh, and I went to visit him. Somebody said, you need to go visit Edward. And so I, I went. And Edward's yard looked like every day there was a yard sale. And I, I walked up, and I entered into his home, and there was barely any room to get around. And he said, come, and he was smoking his pipe, and he was so glad to see me. He said, preacher, sit down. He hadn't talked to anybody all week. He came to church, but that was about it. He'd sit on the back row. There were many fragrances in that house, not just pipe smoke. And he hugged me, and he smelled ripe. <laughs> there are characters in the church. Think about Martha. Martha was uh, one that wanted to always be at the those for the board meeting, and. And one day I caught her going into church and I said, are you coming tonight? She said, oh yeah, we're voting. I always cast my vote. And she said, you know, it was uh, about 10 years ago, this was uh, in Albany, Georgia. 10 years ago, I voted that we not relocate our church. I thought our church is something that has become very special to me. It's a fixture spiritually. And so I voted against it. And yet, we moved anyway. I voted with the minority, and I was wrong. Martha taught me she was character that she was willing to express her opinion, but she went with the body of Christ. And she said, I want to do whatever the church feels like I need to do. She said, I was wrong. The church is full of different characters. We look different. We sound different. We have different backgrounds. I think of Lester. Lester Forbes. He was the first person I met on St. Simons. He, he was an old Navy man. He was bald and, and even shorter than me, believe it or not. And, and he greeted me. He had a cigarette in his hand. He was in the parking lot. And, and he said, we're glad to have you. Welcome to St. Simon's. I'm one of the few here that's a native of St. Simon's. And we're glad you're here. And I run sound upstairs and I unlock all the doors every Sunday morning. If you have anything you need, let me know. Well, he's running his last lap. He's homebound. And the pastor, who's a dear friend of mine at that church, said he's getting ready to go to heaven. We're going to miss Lester. 
And then there was Barbara. Barbara was not afraid to express her opinion. And when Monday morning, the secretary buzzed me and said, Barbara's on the phone and she wants to talk to you. And I said, well, what is it about? And she said it was an incident that took place in the church building and she wants to talk to you. And I said, I wasn't even there when it happened. Is there anybody else that she can talk to? And she said, oh, she wants to talk to you. And so I said, patch her through. And I picked up the phone and I said, the number you have reached is out of order. <laughs> I didn't really say that. And she said, I want to tell you what happened, preacher. And I listened. But you know, she was there the next Sunday, and she was there the next Sunday, and she was there the next Sunday. And I could count on her to express her opinion but to be faithful to the church. And Peggy, I need to share with you, I woke up one morning not too long ago and I said, Lord, I just I don't know that I have a word. I just I feel broken. It was 4 o'clock in the morning, right before I was to preach. And I embraced Peggy when I got to church. And she said, you know, the Lord woke me up. And I felt like I needed to pray for you too. Recently she told me, she said, you know, I'm always praying for our church staff and our preachers. And she said, this week you'll be glad to know that I prayed for you while I was under the hairdryer. <laughs> You know, there are characters in the church. And let me just highlight one other one. Uh, Tammy, your nephew, Andrew. Does, do y'all know Andrew? Andrew sits about four pews back at the 11 o'clock service. Andrew goes and is a resident at Westlake Land. Uh, Andrew is a young adult, and he has something called Fragile X Syndrome, where he is on the autism spectrum. Maybe you've seen and he has taught us so much. In fact, the bishop preached early. He didn't come to hear the preacher. He, he, wanted to hear the, he, did, he wanted to hear his preacher. And so he came to the 11 o'clock contemporary. And Andrew was sitting in front of one of our visitors that I talked to this week, Fran. And he said, you know, something really neat happened. I saw this fella in worship. And he was a young adult. He was wearing a suit and an Elvis tie. And I said, I, I know who you're talking about. And I was wondering what he was going to say. And, and he said, he was so cool. Right before you preached, he said, and here's Tim. <laughs> Are we not all characters? Cannot God use all of us? Well, John speaks to some characters in the church, and I think you'll find your name when we study this scripture. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the fact that you called every one of us, no matter who we are, no matter where we come from, 
you who began a good work in us, continue to perfect it, continue to do a sanctifying work in the honest. We praise you for those folks that we celebrate that are real characters, and we count ourselves in that number. Now speak to us. Help us not to think that this is a message for someone else. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts together be acceptable unto you. O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. You know, as we headed into this series, there was some apprehension. I had never preached on uh, a series of epistles like this. I preached on 1 John, but I had never preached consecutive messages where John, the apostle of Jesus, uh, the, G, the apostle that Jesus, the scripture says, loved. I had never really kind of worked through it. And i got to tell you, some beautiful things have surfaced as we've looked at these letters from John. Uh, in John 1, we see how he beautifully, this apostle who is older in the faith, and elderly, and it's his last words uh, to the church of Ephesus and to some that he wants uh, to speak clearly to and personally to, and, and he says, i got to tell you that love is essential. It's a, it's a centerpiece of our faith, and by this all people will know that you are my disciples by the way you love one another. And then in, in that first letter he talks about this is love, not that we somehow can can take credit that we love God. No, he first loved us and sent his son as atoning sacrifice. And we are now at one moment with God because of God's love. God equals love. God is synonymous with love. So he says, love one another because whoever does not love does not really fully understand what it is to know God. Because God is love. For love believes all things. Paul helps us with this. Hopes all things, endures thing, all things. Love gives the benefit of the doubt. And then in 2 John, in a wonderful way, he, he weaves this tapestry, this fabric of truth, and love. And he says it's important that we love and that we have it out front, but we also might need to be truthful in who we are and live the truth. To walk, this is where he begins to talk about walking in the truth. Love isn't something we just talk about, it's not something we just think about, it's something we do. And truth is not just a mental assent. It's not just what we believe, although it is important what we believe, because that contributes to our actions and the way we see others and the way we live out our faith in the kingdom of God. But truth is something that is being conformed and shaping in us, shaped in us. And, and there's got to be a balance. They're inseparable. We must love, but we must stand in the truth. And, and so often we get those out of balance, don't we? We say love, 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 and, 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 and we move to this direction, and then we say, well, you need to know what you ought to believe. And, and so over here, we get a little arrogant, 
with our belief system, but over here on the love side, we get a little wish, wishy-washy. And, and, and we don't really drive a, a stake in the ground on any one thing, and we're very relativistic. So he says we, we need to marry these true to uh, love and truth. They're inseparable. And in that second letter, he does a beautiful job of, of leading us into this third one because he said, it is great joy when my children walk in truth. There's nothing like when your biological or adopted children walk in the truth. That's our prayer. There may be a lot of things that we can celebrate. Their athleticism, their academics, you can apply this to your grandchildren. But oh, when they walk in the truth of the gospel, what a beautiful and glorious thing it is. And some of our children are in different places, aren't they? I prayed with a mother today that, that just simply said, our child, our adult child, seems to be moving in a better direction. So we celebrate that. Because we want our children to have the very best, not in things, but in the love of God, the way they steward their lives for Jesus Christ, for others. And so I want to encourage you to take a look. We've made it easy for you. We've got Bibles in your pew. And we've made it easy for the entire passage of 3 John is in your bulletin. I'd like to ask you to pull that out. Because we're going to talk about three characters that Fran read for us about in the scripture reading in 3 John. Now, it's interesting. I want to say this. This is the only book. As you're getting that scripture out in front of you, I don't even care if you use your smartphone. Go ahead and get your Bible out. And as you do that, this is the only book in the New Testament that does not name Jesus by name. Does not mention Jesus. But oh, how implicitly explicit he comes forth in the transforming power of the Holy Spirit in the individual's lives. And so we find that in this letter, this third chapter, or this third letter of John, uh, he's teaching us what it means or what it does not mean to be a follower of Jesus. And John is speaking uh, first uh, to a friend. We find that there are some frauds that he addresses, some deceivers. In fact, in chapter, uh, all of the chapters of that second letter, he addresses false teaching and those that are counterfeiting the faith. But I think for us today, the question is posed, what kind of character am I in the church? As he describes these, am I a friend to the gospel or am I a fraud? And, I, and I'll explain that. But let's look at Gaius first in verse 1. He says, the elder to the beloved, beloved Gaius, whom I love in the truth. Do you hear the, the inseparables? I, I love you in a way that I want to express affection to you, but I love you in a way that speaks to your faith. And many scholars believe that John led Gaius to faith in Jesus Christ. He says, Beloved, one I dearly care for, I pray that all may go well with you. And that you may be in good health. I think that's a reminder for us as we do this Bible study that it is important for us to pray 
for our infirmities and for the infirmities of others, whether visible or invisible infirmities. What I mean about that, I mean in terms of surgery or rehab or diagnosis, but also in terms of depression and discouragement, there's unseen infirmities. And he says, I pray that you are well. I want you to be well, just as it is with your soul. And so he's speaking about physical wellness here, and, and some mental and emotional wellness potentially, but he's speaking uh, to the soul. And what is interesting to me, a couple of things here. One, is he, he's implying that even though it has not been well with your body, physically, it can be well with your soul. I, I pray for both, but I am so glad that it is well with your soul. I think about a woman that I went into the hospital to visit, and, and when I went, it was one of those reverse blessings where I thought I was going to be the blessing. I was going to be the clergy person that would show up. I'd be the super spiritual man, person representing the church. And what I found was, in a real physical struggle, this person had joy. Joy is not the absence of suffering, it's just the presence of God. So in that struggle physically, we prayed together and I was blessed by her joy her soul, even while her body was breaking down. I think he speaks to the importance of spiritual wellness. That's why you're here. Because so many of us allow our souls to become, our hearts to become shriveled. And we give out so much. We don't allow ourselves by way of the word, by way of worship, by way of community, a small group, Sunday school, Bible study, we don't allow ourselves to be refueled. So he's saying to Gaius, I'm so glad you're walking in the truth. I'm praying for your physical well-being. I'm praying for your soul. And then in verses 3 and 4, if you'll move down just a little bit in the scripture, it says, I was overjoyed when some of the friends arrived and testified to your faithfulness to to the truth, uh, namely how you walk in the truth. I have no greater joy than this to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Do you, do you hear what he's saying? He's saying, Gaius, you've not only believed, you've lived it. You have walked your talk. You see, missionaries were coming into villages, and, and one of the things that would happen in the spread of of the movement of followers of Jesus and Christianity is there would be host homes. And Gaius, we really believe, was probably one of those who opened up his home and was very hospitable even to folks that he did not know. And these people would bring letters of credentials uh, where John would vouch for these people and he would say, this is your place. Come, dine with me. I will serve you for the cause for the sake of Christ. And he's saying, I have heard back. John is saying, I've heard back of your well-doing. 
your sermon, uh, preachers would hear from Edgar Guest in their preaching. And he wrote a poem many, many years ago that said this, I'd rather see a sermon than hear one any day. I'd rather one would walk with me than merely tell me the way. The best of all the preachers are men, and I would include women who live their creed. For to see good in action is what everyone needs. When I see an act of kindness, I'm eager to be kind. When a weaker brother stumbles and a strong, stronger one stays behind, just to see if I can help, then the wish grows strong in me to be as big and thoughtful as I know that friend has been to me. So there's something about proof and pudding. There's something about the rubber meeting the road. There's something about real life when we live out our real faith. It's more than words. He goes on to say, beloved in verse 5, you do faithfully whatever you do for friends, even though they are strangers, and they testify to your love before the church. You do, you will do well to send them on in a matter worthy of God. So do you see this letter that does not even mention Jesus? Jesus shows up in the love and the care of a follower of Christ like Gaius. That Gaius is one of those that works the supply line. I think about that in the life of the church. There are some of us that are on the front lines. We're up front. We're on the edge of what may be going on in ministry. But oh, how important the supply lines are. Those are the people that write the checks, that pray, that support. Those are the characters like you. We need the front line folks and we need the supply lines. And so, can you identify with Gaius? Could you be accused of being like him? Diotrephes. Now here's a contrast. Look with me at verse 9. I have written something to the church, but Diotrephes, who likes to put himself first, do you hear that? Who likes to put himself first does not acknowledge our authority, and so if I come, I will call attention to what he is doing in spreading false charges against us. And not content with those charges, he refuses to welcome the friends. He's pushing people away from the church. And even prevents those who want to do so and expels them from the church. And so, Diotrephes. Oh, I want to be able to identify with Gaius, but I find that Diotrephes is with me as well. All of us struggle, don't we? It says, did you hear that? He loves to be first. <laughs> Diotrephes had a struggle with personal ambition. He was living out his need to be needed to draw attention to himself, to be a control freak because of some of his stuff that he had not worked through, that he had not allowed Christ to work through in him. He had to have the limelight. He was proud. He felt the church owed him something. 
And he refused the authority of John. One who very well may have influenced his life earlier. Can you hear him? I can hear him. Sometimes I can hear him in myself. This is my church. I, I run this church. Nobody dictates to me. Hey, you're, you're Johnny come lately. I've heard this one before. Preacher, I'll be here long after you're gone. <laughs> and what's interesting about this is Diotrephes is associated with wealth. Culturally, that was a name that often was given to the affluent. So could he have struggled with social issues where the poor wanted to enter into the life of the church and they just weren't good enough. Oh, help us to embrace all. Because it's the flesh. Paul talks about that. The flesh, the selfish nature, the brokenness in us wants it our way. And it starts very early. Fran, when our kids were growing up, we still have one at home. Yours are all out of the house, I know, but you remember those days. And, and one of the things we had was a little song. If one of them got a little bit out of hand, if one of them got a little bit of a green-eyed monster uh, rising up in them, if one of them was uh, being selfish, I, we'd sing this song, Billy and I would be singing together. It's all about me, me, me. It's all about me, me, me. It's not about you, you. We'd sing that, and I got the message very clear. But that selfishness within us rises up even in the church. And so it is our prayer as the people of God that the diatrophies will die in us. But Gaius will rise up. One of the things he was doing was he was spreading gossip and he was saying disparaging things untrue about others in the church. Oh, how we need to be careful how we talk to each other. Hear me on this now. How we talk to each other and how we talk about each other because all of those folks out there are watching. And then Demetrius. Look at verse 11. Beloved, do not imitate what is evil, but imitate what is good. Whoever does good is from God. Whoever does evil has not seen God. Everyone has testified favorably about Demetrius. Oh, what a testimony. People speak highly of him and his faith. And it goes on to say, and so has the truth itself. The very truth in him speaks much about him. We also testify for him, and you know that our testimony is true. John is vouching for Demetrius, and not because of just a rapport that he has, but because he sees the truth in him. 
And he says, do not imitate what is evil, but imitate or emulate what is good. Paul says, someone take this arrogantly. I don't take it arrogantly. I think I know what Paul's trying to say. Paul says, literally, imitate me because I am attempting to imitate Jesus. And so, is there a little bit of Demetrius in us? That while we don't become obsessed by what people think, our witness is true. John is saying, you, Gaius, you have walked the talk. Demetrius, uh, folks speak well of you because you have been constant in your faith. Gaius, you have been one that has been hospitable. I see Christ in you and your sacrifice of love with your home and your generosity. Demetrius, I see you imitating what is Christ-like in the things that others have invested in you. We talked about three individuals, and I think at any one time, we've become one of those. But what I want is for there to be a sense that when we walk out of here, people will say, now, Martha Bowman Church is full of characters. And the characteristics that they have is that of Jesus. Gracious. Willing to give the benefit of the doubt to each other. Inclusive. Hospitable. But grounded in the truth. Thank you, John. He allowed us to overhear a letter that we needed to hear. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that he's still doing it.